Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. All right, Psalm 100. Look at verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of your word. We thank you, God, for the reminders that it gives us. God, we, um, we don't want to be entitled people. Lord, we don't want to be heartless people. Lord, we want to be thankful people. God, we have so much to thank you for, and we thank you this morning for a psalm that leads us to do that. And God, I would just ask, on, with the short time we have together on this special holiday morning, I pray, Jesus, that you would meet us here. I pray, God, for your freedom in our lives. Pray for more of your freedom in our lives, God, that's, that's deeper than any external freedom. And we invite your spirit to bring that about today. I ask that you would speak through me. I've prepared a sermon, but God, we ask that you would prepare our hearts now for what your spirit wants to say. We ask you to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the, the title of the message today, uh, if you'd like to take note, again, along the theme of 4th of July, is entitled Celebrating the Lord. Celebrating the Lord. And now that the screen is working again and you're writing that down, can we celebrate our tech team? Yeah. Way to go. They're great. Love you guys. Celebrating the Lord. Uh, I want to begin with a question this morning. Of course, it's 4th of July, but I want, to th- want you to think about your life in general and ask yourself this question or I'll ask you this question, how often do you celebrate? How often do you celebrate? Another way to ask this is when people look on at your life, do they consider you to be a celebratory person? Another one of the great blessings of the United States of America is we have some kind of a holiday every month to celebrate. We're making them up as they go along. You ever notice that where someone's like, did you know today's National Ice Cream Day? And you're like... I do now, and I'm going to celebrate, right? There's like all these different, different uh, holidays we have, little ones, big ones, national ones, smaller ones. We have our birthdays. We have the new year. Uh, just written into the calendar of our culture is the practice of celebration. Let me, let me define the word celebrate to you uh, and for you real quick. To celebrate is actually this communal task. It's, it's to gather together in order to festively and collectively rejoice in something or someone. I know you got your afternoon on the horizon here of your mind, right? Uh, this afternoon, most of us, hopefully all of us, we're gathering together with fr- uh, family, friends, loved ones, and we will be festively in red, white, and blue with burgers and hot dogs and collectively rejoicing in specifically something the Declaration of Independence, the United States of America, and certainly someones. Today's a day that we celebrate those that have given their lives for our freedom and all the different blessings we have 
in our country. So this is what it means to celebrate. And again, the question is, how often do you do it? Now, this is a sermon, so let's, let's turn this into the Lord. Here's another question I'd like you to, to think about. How often do you celebrate the Lord? Is celebration a regular part of your life? Okay, great. I know that. I follow a lot of you on Instagram. You guys are always partying. I love it. How often do you celebrate God? Another way to ask this question is this. Is celebration a consistent characteristic of your relationship with God? Now, I understand that the Christian life is complex, that it's not always a celebration, and we're thankful for the Psalms, again, because it encompasses all the different things we experience in life. Sometimes celebration is like the last characteristic on my description, uh, the description of my spirituality. There's other things there. There's contemplation. That's a big part of spirituality. Thinking through the deep and heavy things of life with God. There's confession. I'm a big confessional Christian. Having to uh, boldly and, and constantly come back to what's true about God. There's conviction in the Christian life. I get a lot of that. I, I, there's a lot of sin that, that continues to, to show up in my, my life. Believe it or not, pastors sin. And, and uh, regularly, on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit is faithful to convict me. There's conviction in my spirituality. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. So, so there's so much to our Christian life, but I would ask you again, is celebration a part of that equation? Are you a celebratory Christian? Now, the reason why I asked that question is here in Psalm 100, and actually you see it throughout the entire Psalms, you have this call that is placed upon the people of God to be a celebratory people. Like, believe it or not, this is what God's word calls us into. Uh, the Christian life is not just meant to be endured. It's also meant to be enjoyed. There's actually joy as we walk with Jesus. There's celebration to have. There's, there's a party to experience. There's great joy. We see this not just in this psalm here. Psalm 100 is calling us into that sort of celebratory spirituality. But we also see this in the history of God's people. I love this example. In the book of Nehemiah, the people of God had just finished building the wall of Jerusalem. Um, and, and there was a lot that, they, that could have... Um, uh, followed that rebuild. Uh, probably a lot more confession and repentance and lamentation because of why the walls were broken down in the first place, and that was Israel's rebellion and sin. But I want you to notice how th the practice that's employed here in Nehemiah is that of celebration. It says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. That's alternative rock music, if you're, if you're confused, in the Hebrew language there, all right? That's a joke. Um, now, at the dedication of the wall, it says that they sought out to gather together a big celebration. I love this picture of how God's people should look. Like, I don't know if this is truly the reputation of Christians to the onlooking world, is it? There's those happy people, those Christians going to church to celebrate. Like, most of the time, it's like when I sense in the church today, it's a lot of, like, mm, anger, frustration country, the people, them. And when we come to church, what do we do? We, rather, we rally around all that's wrong in the world. 
God, you know what's wrong. You're here to make it right. And, and we carry with us sometimes this same spirit in our faith. I'm not saying that we don't go through hard times. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be honest and authentic about what we feel when we're walking through those hard times. But isn't God a reason to celebrate? And shouldn't God's people be marked by this kind of joy? I mean, imagine that. Imagine people thinking in the American church, those American Christians, they go to church each week and they just celebrate the roof off. They're people who just celebrate. They're, they're joyous all day long. Now, that's often not true. Often it's, it's, it's the opposite. Oftentimes it's like, man, I can't wait for this church service to end so I can go to the party. Go to Lake Boca, get my celebration on, you know what I'm saying? Like that's often the mindset. We often think that way, and how sad is that? The reason why it's so sad is because, listen, as Christians, we not only have more of a reason to rejoice and celebrate than the, the rest of the world because of who God is and what he's done for us through his son Jesus, but we have a consistent reason to celebrate. Our celebration of, as Christians doesn't just happen twice a year on Easter and Christmas, right? Oh, the celebration holidays. Jesus became a baby, and Jesus came back to life. Okay, we celebrate on these two days. No, there's a call here in Psalm 100 to adopt a lifestyle of celebration, to adopt celebratory spirituality. And here's where the psalm ends, because here's our reason why we celebrate each and every day. Because God is good, number one. Because his mercy is everlasting. And because his truth endures to all generations. Here's the reason for the party. God is good. That's good news. Additionally, his mercy is everlasting. That's also good news because we're not good. <laughs> and we have this tendency to feel like we have outsinned God's love. We've outsinned God's mercy. And the psalmist is saying here, no, God's mercy outlasts everything. Right when you come to that point where you think like God's mercy stopped here and then I did this sin, his mercy and his grace is greater. His mercy is everlasting. And the truth of who he is endures to all generations. This is the, the fuel. This is the, the, the source that is fueling the celebration of God's people. We have a good God who is merciful beyond our sin and who endures throughout every generation. His truth never changes. It's a reason to celebrate. Um, Richard Foster is an author who wrote, some people argue this is one of the greatest books written on the, the, the practice of the Christian life. It's a book entitled The Celebration of Discipline. The celebration, now think about those two words for a second. The celebration of discipline. I've been on a, a nice rhythm the past month, waking up at uh, uh, 5 o'clock to go meet my buddy Eddie at the gym locally here in Boca. It's the only way I'm going to really get the workout thing going is I show up somewhere and they say, pick that up. And I go, okay. And I pick it up. You know, now jump up and down. Okay. I'll you know, like that's the only way I am really feel like I'm going to get that consistency. And so it's funny, though. It's discipline to wake up, to get to the gym. I don't usually put together the words, you know, when I set my alarm, I'm not like, mm, celebration of 5 a.m. <laughs> yes, celebrate, good times, come on, right? Like, it's not happening. Uh, notice what Richard Foster says about the danger of that also being the heartbeat in the Christian life. A lot of times we can think that way, I got to pray, I got to wake up, 
I got to go to church. I got to follow Jesus. And here's what Richard Foster says in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. He says, celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Central. Not just important, but he says it's the heart of it. Without a joyful spirit, I love this writing, a joyful spirit of festivity and celebration, the disciplines become dull, death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. Did you go to church this week? Did you read your Bible this week? Are you praying, right? Are you building your credit with God, you know? And, and that's what it can become without the spirit of joy and celebration. So what a joy it is that we are called here in Psalm 100 to celebrate the Lord. Here's the question that Psalm 100 also leads us to ask. How? How then, knowing that we are called to celebrate God, knowing that God wants more than just duty in your Christian life, he wants joy and celebration because of who he is and his love over you, Knowing that, the next question should be, obviously, how then do we celebrate the Lord? How do we do it? Like, that's another thing that's, that's so cool about different holidays in the U.S., and it's, and it's unique uh, to every culture you go to. Different festivities, different holidays have different celebrations. Uh, there's just, you know, you know um, for example, Christmas is not often a time of fireworks, right? Like, yeah, it's Christmas, New Year's Eve kind of a thing. Like, December 25th is here. We're blowing off you know, stuff in the middle of the night. That doesn't happen. Christmas has its own traditions, its own practices. So how then are we going to, how are we called to celebrate the Lord? Well, Psalm 100 gives us a couple ways as we are pursuing this sort of joyful spirituality. How can we celebrate the Lord together on a regular basis? And there's a couple things that the scriptures tell us. The first way that we're called to celebrate the Lord is we're called simply, write this down, to shout about him loudly. It's like, how many of you guys have that as your, that's a spiritual discipline, right? You wake up, you say, hey, 5 a.m., I'm waking up, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read around 5.30, I'm going to start shouting about the Lord. Open up my windows, good morning, neighbors, you know, the Lord is good today, right? Now, that sounds kind of unique. You're going, Andrew, where do you get this concept of shouting about him loudly? Well, it's right from the psalm we just read. Psalm 101 says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. The first way that we celebrate God in our Christian life is with, I think of uh, loud noises. That's essentially what I think of. But the idea here of a joyful shout to the Lord, it's interesting. Uh, this idea of a joyful shout to the Lord, this word in Hebrew, it signifies a glad, a glad shout that loyal subjects give their king when they appear among them. So picture the king is kind of cascading from his castle down into the village, and the people are shouting joyfully. They're rejoicing with volume over their king. Here's a picture of it in our relationship with God. This is a prophecy about Jesus coming as the Savior to rescue us as our king. Uh, Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, that's the picture there. The king is in your midst. Celebrate, shout, make noise, don't be quiet, be bold and loud about your king. Now, this is not just something unique to God and how we're to celebrate him. This is obviously a big part of how we celebrate in our culture. You know, that's kind of a thing that you hear about Americans specifically. They're loud, aren't they? 
It's like you go to another country, it's like, you know, the missions are, missionaries are there. It's like, why? They're the loudest ones in the restaurant, right? It's like, just that, I love that about Americans. We're just loud, okay? Um, and specifically, my family growing up, we're like extra loud, extra volume. Um, and this is not just unique about, uh, of course, Christians or Americans. This is how we celebrate people. Like, if someone comes, you're having a celebration, a, a fourth, you know, a, a birthday surprise party, and that person walks in the room, wouldn't it be weird if they walked in and you're just like, Everyone, there's like 30 people there. Hey. Surprise party for you. Surprise. <laughs> you know, right? Or like your team scores a touchdown. You're like, cool. All right? They won the game. They won the game. Right? That'd be unique. Or I'm trying to think of other examples of, of celebration. You, you get the email from the school that you were trying to get into. You ever seen those videos and the whole family's, ah, they're crying around the, the webcam. Right? And instead you're like, cool, I got into the school of my dreams. That's pretty awesome. Right? Of course not. That sort of volume, that celebration, that noise is tied to the depth of your joy. You are loud about what you are most passionate about. Volume in your life is directly connected to what gives you greatest joy. Just ask the people around you. Ask them, what am I most loud about? Like, what, what, is, what has the most volume from my life? I guarantee you they could tell you. And I guarantee you it's probably connected to the greatest passion and joy of your heart. So I'd ask you this question this morning. How loud is the level of your joy in the Lord? You know, this isn't meant to be something that we force out. Like, oh, I got to be loud now. I'm a Christian. I'm going to be loud. It's a discipline. Ah, Like, don't be weird, okay? The idea here is that it's rooted in the joy you have in the Lord. This isn't manufactured. This is produced by the Spirit where you go, man, this is who God is. Like, like, like a king that comes into your midst. Like, like a teenager, right, who comes into the presence of that celebrity. Ah! And they start freaking out. There's a joy that we should have in the Lord that celebrates him in the same way. Now, I think of a couple things that, at least in my life, that often, how do we say this, um, limits and mutes the volume of my joy in the Lord? You ever had like a season of your life where you're like, I've been very quiet for the Lord? You ever felt that way? Maybe right now you're like, I'm not that loud. Not just in general, just about my faith. Here's a couple things that I think of, three specific things that keeps Christians from being loud in the Lord. Distraction, discouragement, and disconnection. First, distraction. Um... First of all, the enemy does not want Christians to be loud about their God. And so before often he, he comes against them with opposition, it's like the enemy knows that sometimes that backfires and Christians get louder when they're pressed and they're silenced. And so usually what the enemy does, and you, a best, the best book to read on this is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis kind of describes the strategies and the schemes of the enemy and trying to silence Christians. And here's one of the most consistent ways that the enemy silences you. As a Christian, here's what he does. It's not that he turns down the volume of your faith. He just gets you to be extra preoccupied with other things. You don't wake up one day and go, I'm not going to be a loud Christian. You just get distracted and you start becoming louder about secondary things. And maybe as you kind of think about that question of what am I loudest about, Maybe you look at something there and you go, oh, that thing that I'm, it's good that I'm passionate, but God, am I more passionate about earthly things than you? It's, 
It's okay to be loud, by the way. It doesn't mean we should just be loud about the Lord and nothing else. Scripture calls us to be a voice for the voiceless, for example. We should be loud about righteousness. We should be loud when we want to see justice. We should be loud about what's right and what's wrong. But we should be loudest about the Lord. And oftentimes the way that we are silented is we are distracted and we turn up the volume of other things. Another, another way that uh, we can often lose the level of our volume is discouragement. You're like, I've tried being loud one time and it didn't work out well, okay? I remember I tried to share my faith and nobody wanted to hear it. They looked at me and said, turn that down, all right? Turn down the volume. It's loud, okay? Quiet down, all right? Just, you know, just keep it to yourself, all right? This, your, your faith is a, is a private matter. And, and that can be kind of where we find ourselves. Is, now, I want to say, like, there is a problem when Christians are only loud with their verbal volume and not their lives. Like, let's chill. Like, don't, so don't go into work. Like, if, you, if you're, like, a horrible coworker, don't go into work tomorrow and be like, God loves you, and I'm his messenger, okay? Like, don't do that, okay? There's a danger. There's a danger to where, like, you're just shouting at someone. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about boldness, though. We're talking about being confident and vocal about who God is and what he's done in your life. And, and maybe discouragement has caused you to mute the voice of your testimony. You've muted the voice of your testimony. You've been discouraged. Uh, what about disconnection? Here's another thing. Like, you're just disconnected from the Lord. Your life lacks spiritual disciplines, the means of your connection with him. And, you know, I, I kind of think of like, when I think about this, I feel like we're God's Bluetooth speakers. Called to be loud for him in the world. And sometimes the connection's off. Our Bluetooth is off or something else is wrong. You ever found that way? You're like, Lord, I just, I need to reconnect to you so that your volume can come through my life. God, I need to hear your voice. I need to be touched by you in a genuine way. A great example, I think, that, that kind of summarizes this is Peter and John. They are um, in jail, and they are uh, being attempted. Others are attempting to silence them. It says, the Lord spoke to Paul. Oh, wrong verse. I'm great at this. I'll try to get better. Uh, verse 18 says, so they called them. These are the guys trying to silence them. And they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So this is what's happening. People are getting saved. The volume of Jesus is like going all out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's spreading. The noise is loud. And so people are trying to silence what God is doing. The enemy is always trying to do this. So they command them, thou shalt not be loud about Jesus anymore. Peter and John answered beautifully, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. They were just like, okay, you're right. All right. Verse 20, for we cannot, I love this, but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's where volume comes from. Just undeniable testimony. This is who God is. I can't be distracted from this. I'm not going to be discouraged from this. I can't stay disconnected from this truth. This is the first way that we celebrate the Lord. We shout about him loudly. Another way that we celebrate him is we serve unto him gladly. We serve unto him gladly. Another way that we celebrate the Lord. Psalm 100 is calling us into that sort of lifestyle and practice. And it says in verse 2, simply, serve the Lord with gladness. I love this. Like, this is how God is celebrated. We serve him with gladness. Um, 
The question I'd ask you this morning is, how has God and where has God called you to serve him? Identify your life for a second and just think about how have I been called to serve God? Where have I been called to serve God? What does serving God's kingdom look like? What's the grid that that falls into in your life? Could be at, at your home, as a husband, as a father, as a coworker, as a student, as a grandfather, as a grandmother. It could be your spiritual gifts. It could be a variety of different things. But it's looking right where you are, where God's placed you, and envisioning that God has called you to serve him. Um, I'm thankful for a community of servants. One thing I love about our small little church is um, it, it forces our church to take ownership of our church. It's really cool. The way that this, you know, we don't have a paid staff of 100 people that come in and set this room up every week. That would be awesome. If you want to help with that, I'm open to it, okay? But what I love is the thing that God has going for us here is that we're a community that says, this is my church. And we, we serve. We serve the Lord. This is obviously a shameless plug. I hope you're hearing it, okay? We have kids ministry. We have production. We have a music team. We have um, the setup and breakdown team. That's, you get the most points in heaven when you serve on that team, okay? Extra points, all right? You have all these different ways that we serve the Lord. There's, there's so many different ways that you're called to serve the Lord even in your own life. First question would be, are you serving the Lord? Are you doing it? Are you doing what you're doing heartily as unto the Lord? Do you see your role as a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife, as a coworker, as a student, as a fellow citizen, as a neighbor? Do you see yourself as a servant of the kingdom? The next question would be, do you do that? Do you serve gladly? That's the hard one. It's hard because it's subtle, right? Because you can serve with a smile. You ever done that? <laughs> God bless you. But not actually inwardly be doing it gladly. But you're doing it reluctantly. It's a really hard thing to notice. Um, we, we, we actually have um, this characteristic as one of our ministry values for our team and our staff. We have a small group of, of, of leaders that we've been developing. And one of our, our five ministry values is joyful service. This is actually one of the ways that we can celebrate the Lord and, and, and do our ministry here. And one of the things we talk about with joyful service is just how, um, how easy it is to mask it when it's not joyful. Um, what, what I've noticed is when you're not serving joyfully, you're doing it reluctantly, nobody will notice. You, you, it's, it's something you can hide. But on the other hand, when you are doing it joyfully, everybody will notice. It's something about it that's contagious. You ever just seen that person? Like I think of my dad with how he greets everybody when they come in here each and every week. I'm like, Lord, help me come up there and preach with that same joy. There's something noticeable about it, and there's something subtle about it when it's missing. Does that make sense? And so it's, it's such a unique thing. It's such a, how should I say, it's such a special way to worship God because only he really knows. If you're serving your family, if you're serving the Lord, if you're serving joyfully, only he really sees that and knows that. Romans 12.1 says that we shouldn't lag in diligence, but we should be fervent in spirit as we serve the Lord. It uses the same idea. It's actually one sentence. The commas kind of mess it up. But the idea there is, is don't lag in diligence, but be fervent in spirit as you serve the Lord. I really like the message version of this. The message version says this. Don't burn out. You ever been there? God, I'm served out. We've all been there. He says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master 
cheerfully expectant. That's what the message version describes. Now, here's the hard part, right? Don't burn out and the keep yourselves fueled. It's like, how do I keep my joy if I've lost it? Or how do I regain it if I've lost it? Now, something that I would argue or disagree with a little bit with the messaging of this, the messaging of the message, is the keep yourselves, like as if it's like something that you, you know, keep your flame going. It's like, okay, you know, it's like, it's not so much something that we always have control over, but I do think that there are ways to keep your flame flame burning as you plug into the right source. I've got, these are two practices for me that I always come back to. If at any time I feel like I'm serving, I'm doing something, but with like a spirit that's like, eh, I have to go back to these two things. Now, sometimes, this isn't up here, this is extra credit, okay, or free. Sometimes the reason why your heart isn't in it is because the Lord's called you out of it. That's okay, by the way. All right? I was called to plant a church. I got asked by one person to continue to be a youth pastor for five more years. And I was like, you don't want that. You don't want me to be, because my heart's not in it. My heart's not in it. The Lord's called me, and that's okay. Now, it takes some discernment and community and counsel to make sure that that's not you running. And that actually is the Lord calling but at least for me, when it comes to first knowing where God has me, knowing that I'm serving him, I always have to come back to first gospel gratitude. This is where I have to start. I have to remember who Andrew is apart from Jesus and who you and I are apart from the gospel. And then when I see the gospel and I see that Jesus, like calling me to serve him, I mean, forget that, that would be awesome, but the fact that he saved me, the fact that he calls me his own, it's kind of this like, I'm just, wait, I get to serve him? I'm just happy to be here. I'm just really happy to be here because I know where I would be without him. And so, you know what happens when, when that, that occurs in your heart? You're a lot like the Apostle Paul who's like, I don't deserve to be here, but by God's grace, I am here. And that gospel, you know what it did? It caused Paul to go, man, I'm going to serve more than everyone else. Because I'm not serving out of, like, obligation. I'm not serving out of competition. I'm serving out of joyful gratitude that I've been saved by Jesus, and I get to serve him. I get to serve the one who didn't come to be served, but gave his life for me. Gospel gratitude. Where in your ministry do you need to infuse some gospel gratitude and go, God, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to know you, let alone serve you. I get to, hold on, I get to serve you, God? Imagine that, you and I, we get to serve God. Let's not get too used to that. Some gospel gratitude will help put some perspective back to that. Also, kingdom vision is so important. Um, A lot of times the reason why you're doing what you're doing or how you're doing what you're doing is because you've forgotten why you're doing it in the first place. Like, it's amazing what vision can do. The power of vision. You know, this is a big one for us and our teams. We want to make sure we're leading all of our leaders to have vision for their teams. Like you're not just, you're, you know, you're not just up there playing a note on a guitar. Let's have some vision. You are leading people to commune with God. You're not just watching some crying baby in there because they needed a babysitter. Vision. You are providing an opportunity for a parent to be refilled and refueled in the relationship with God, to be a better mother, to be a better dad. Vision. It's amazing what it can do. It's amazing how how easy it is to quit when you have a lack of vision. It's so easy to quit. Like, oh, I'm done. 
Because you're not, you're not going, it's so easy. And it's amazing how far you can go when you have vision. Kingdom vision. When you start to see why you're doing what you're doing, it's amazing what that will do. Uh, maybe that's one of the biggest issues for your joy right now is you're like, I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a coworker. And what you need to do is get alone with Jesus and say, would you give me some vision? God, would you help me see what I'm doing and where I am and who I am in you from your perspective? It's amazing how vision will make you go, okay, I'm back at this. I'm going to get back, back on the saddle. I'm going to get back behind what God's called me to do. So we need to serve unto him gladly. We need to sing before him directly. You're going to love this command from Scripture, that you need to become a better singer. Not in terms of your vocal ability, but in terms of your vocal participation. Okay? Ben asked me to, to use this point. I'm just kidding. Um, sing before him directly. Here's another way we celebrate the Lord. I love this. We come before his presence with singing. And again, this isn't unique to how we celebrate God. This is how we celebrate almost every holiday in the U.S. I, I love that every holiday has its own songs. All right? Um, whether it's happy birthday or, again, Lee Greenwood's. God bless the USA. We sing these songs as a form of expression and celebration. And what a cool way to describe how we also celebrate the Lord. I want you to notice that this is not a command that's given here to worship leaders. You know, where we come to church and the worship leaders, they're the singers. And we're the watchers and the listeners. We're like, mm-hmm, good singing, good lyrics, mm, nourishing me. Come on. Keep singing it. Like, that's not the picture. This isn't commanded just to worship leaders. This isn't commanded just to the band. This isn't commanded to those of you in the room who actually have the vocal gifting that we don't, the rest of us. This is commanded to all of God's people. This is, this is all of us. Some of us are like, you know, I'm not really a singing type. Like, I hear this a lot. Like, I don't really connect with the Lord in that way. But it's like, listen. That, we don't get to define that. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe you're like, I'm not a singing type, but you need to become one. Why? Because God is celebrated that way. Imagine your wife was like, hey, you know, I'm Andrew. This is like, it sounds like it's a conversation I've had with her before. It is. Andrew, here's the deal. My love language is quality time, and I know you've really been invested in, like, acts of service, but I just want you to be with me. Imagine if I turned to Brittany and said, well, here's the thing, babe. I don't really connect with you that way. Just, it's not how I'm wired. That's like the big talking point. I'm not wired. Maybe your wiring's broken. Like, maybe you need to be rewired. Maybe you need to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe you need to just see that God is worthy of being sung to. And that's the big thing here. Look at, look at what Scripture says. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admon admonishment, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I love that. So really the song is, is internal. It should come out. But at the end of the day, you know, God is not most glorified from the most beautiful sound. He is most glorified from the most genuine heart. So I love that the melody is in the heart. I got good heart melody, all right? That's where my melody's at, all right? My, my internal heart-level vocal range is through the roof. They've called me a spiritual Celine Dion at times, all right? Um, but, but what a cool picture. Here's the church. God's word comes in, and our song comes out. 
We sing to him together. It's a beautiful thing as we come together. By the way, when we sing together, when it's not just one person singing to us, but it's us singing together, we're uniting together in a sound of God's praise. You know, when I go to, go to Maine throughout the week and I, I get my coffee shop pastor office study on, I have my headphones in, I'm next to 30 other people with their headphones in, and there's music playing through the speakers, and depending on the vibes, you know, if there's good vibes, I'll either, you know, keep it in or out. But we're all together, but we're not on the same musical frequency. We're disconnected. It's kind of like we're in our own individual song. But when we come to church, it's a lot like that vibe at a, at a concert where everyone's singing the same song. We're unified together, not around an earthly artist, but around God Almighty who has saved us and rescued us. We come before, and here's the key phrase here. Um, we sing, it says it here, sing with grace in your hearts. It's to the Lord. This is the biggest thing here. We sing to the Lord. That's what the verse said. Uh, where's the verse at? I got you. Come before his presence with singing. That's the idea there. Like, you know, there's kind of this spirit in church where it's like, ah, I don't, I didn't like that song. That's not really my song. It's like, well, we're not singing to you. God likes the song, right? It's not, I don't really connect with that. It's, it's, no, we're singing to him. It's not your birthday song. It's his birthday song, right? Like, that's the idea here. It's just so beautiful. And I love this idea that we sing before his presence. That's just so beautiful. We sing to him. You know, I don't understand it. When I get to heaven, it'll make more sense. But there's just something about how God invites us to commune with him through song. It's, it's a way that he leads us to commune with him through singing, through celebrating him through all sorts of different songs. We'll move a little closer here at the end to get you to your, your barbecue. Okay, look at this. Also, we want to center around him theologically. How do we celebrate the Lord? We shout about him loudly. We make sure there's nothing keeping our volume, the volume and the level of our joy in the Lord muted. We, we, we also serve him with gladness. We serve him joyfully. We do what we do with gospel gratitude and kingdom vision. We don't just serve him. We also sing before him in his presence. We do that directly to him. And then the psalmist says, we also need to make sure that as we gather to celebrate, we are centering around him theologically. We are re-centering is probably the better way to say this, around who he is. As we're celebrating, we got to know some things. We got to know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I hope you're starting to see some patterns of, of what we do each week when we get together to celebrate, right? We shout. We serve, we're loud about the Lord, we sing to him, and then there's most of the time here that's spent to center ourselves around what we know about him. The reason is because we are not naturally spiritually centered people. We're not naturally centered on God. We don't wake up with God at the center of our lives. We need to constantly come back to him being at our center. As you know, uh, here at Solus. Our mantra, our vision, our passion is to be a church community that has Jesus at the center. Um, we do this, uh, this is our passion to gather this way, to be centered on him, because this is a continuation of how God's people have always been. When God brought Israel out of that, uh, that, that miraculous deliverance out of the Red Sea and they, they, they were to gather together, the, the way that the instructions were given was that the tabernacle, the place of God's presence was to be in the middle, and God's people were to encamp around him, centered around God, theocentric, 
Okay? The idea there was that they were a people centered on God. When you read the book of Revelation and you see the, the church throughout the ages, the saints uh, in heaven celebrating, the, the center stage is Jesus on the throne. And, and all of God's people are gathered centered around him. Uh, and so as the church, we're called to be both a continuation of this throughout history, and we're also called to be like a prophetic foretaste of what's to come. The idea there is that we are theocentric people. Um, as the church, we're not anthropocentric, man-centered. That's the tendency, is to put our preferences, to put ourselves, to put our pastors, to put our agendas right in the middle of the church. That's not the center of the purpose of God's people. God is to be at our center. We're a theological people. And, and so in this verse, you see a couple things we center around. First, when we come together, hopefully each week that you leave here, you are re-centered around who God is. That's my goal each week. Not to give you 10 steps to your better life, okay? Or, or five steps to get out of debt, all right? Like maybe we'll get there, all right? But, but centrally, this is not a, a self-help TED Talk, okay? We're here to open God's word to know who God is. Know that the Lord, he is God, to know him. To be reminded of who he is. A.W. Tozer says it right, that what comes into our minds when we think about God, that is the most important thing about us. The most important thing in your life right now is what comes into your mind when you think about God. So we center around who he is. I love this. We also center, as we center around who he is, we're recentering around who we are not. Who we're not. He says, it's he who made us and not we ourselves. This is such a big part of church. We get together and we're reminded of who God is. And in light of that, we're like, we're not him. He's not who we are. We're not who he is. He's the one who created us. This produces humility. Because all, all week long, we get lost into this, uh, this lie that we are the sustainers of our own lives. Don't we? We get lost into this lie that we are the ones creating our future, creating our life, creating our destiny. And, and the psalmist is like, hold up. Okay. You ain't God. All right. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we're not sufficient of ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. We know who we're not. We've got to gather each week to remember that it's he who made us, he who saved us, he who carries us, he who delivers us, he who strengthens us, he who leads us. We center around who he is in light of who we're not. And then we get to center around who we are to him. That's the good news. We, though, are his people and the sheep of his pasture. What a great thing to recenter around. This is who you are, God. This is who I'm not in light of that. But thank God there's also encouragement here and confidence. This is who I am in you. I am yours. I need to be reminded of that. I need to come to church each and every week, even though I'm the one, you know, doing the, hearing the sermon before you guys. Like, each and every week as I get into God's word, it's a reminder for me to go, God, this is who I am to you. I need to be reminded. You are God. I am not. But this is who I am in you. This is what I have in you. You're my shepherd. Right now, I feel lost, but you're my shepherd. I can go to Psalm 23 and see how the good shepherd leads me, cares for me, provides for me, and I see you. Hey, lastly, we sacrifice to him worshipfully. Lastly, we sacrifice to him worshipfully. This is how we celebrate the Lord. We shout about him. We serve unto him. We sing before him. We center around him, reminding ourselves who he is, what he's done, who we're not, and who we are to him. And we sacrifice to him worshipfully. Now, some of you guys are like, I've never been here before. Are they about to, like, bring out a goat or something? Like, 
Fourth of July, bro. Can you wait till like next week for the goat? Um, no goats. All right. Just Jesus. He's the goat. Hey. All right. Sacrifice to him worshipfully. Look at the scripture says. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. You know, there was a sacrifice that was given under the old covenant for the people of God to provide for and atone for their own sins. The good news of the gospel is this. You no longer need to or have to, nor can you ever atone for your own sins through your own sacrifices, your own duties. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the sacrifice for your sins. There's two options. Either you are the sacrifice and you make the sacrifices in your life to be right with God and you fall short, or you receive the perfect sacrifice of Jesus who became sin on your behalf so that you could become his righteousness for free by grace through faith. That's the good news. Now, what then do we bring? Well, we bring a new kind of sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that's a response. It's, It's not a sacrifice that we give to get. It's a sacrifice that we give because of what we have in him. We offer it back to him. It's really like all that we, can, all that we have here. Like the Christian life is basically just coming before God with no ability to get him to love you and just being like, thank you. The Christian life, it's one big thank you. Stop trying to make it about you and your works and your sacrifices. Here's the sacrifice. Come before him thankfully. Come before him with praise. Just respond to who he is and what he's done for you. That's the Christian life. Stop trying to earn what Jesus already has. Hebrews 13 actually says this for us in the New Testament. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Here's that call for the church to be a people that both come before God. I love that. It's using tabernacle terminology. It's coming before his presence. And as we're coming before him, we always got to have each one of these in our hands. We raise a praise of thanks. We raise our hands to say, God, thank you for what you've done. And we raise a hand of praise to say, God, thank you for who you are. That's how we celebrate him. With thanks and praise. How can I think about these two things? Uh, Praise, C.S. Lewis says, is where joy is consummated. Thanks is where joy is sustained. These are such key essentials to a relationship with God. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that, that you haven't truly enjoyed something until you've praised it. Like, for example, one of the ways I enjoy my kids is I, I praise how great they are through social media. I'm like, ah! I'm like that, okay? That's me praising, okay? Or like if you eat that restaurant, you're like, oh my gosh, it's so good. You haven't fully enjoyed it till you've told someone. C.S. Lewis says, you've consummated your, your praise. You've fulfilled, you've fully enjoyed it when you've begun to praise it. And though we praise God for him, there's a gift in praise that lets us experience the joy of who he is. So when you come before God and you sing to him and you praise him, you're actually upping the level of your joy as you're reminding yourself who he is. You're experiencing more of his joy. Thanks is where that joy is sustained. Uh, I think of thanks and gratitude as like a sustain pedal on joy. It keeps it going. Like, I haven't met too many joyless, thankful people. Or joyful, entitled people. Usually the people that have the most but aren't thankful for it are the most, like, miserable. Like, you always need more. But there's something about thanks and gratitude 
especially on a day like 4th of July, that sustains the joy we have in him. Man, thank you for sitting through this sermon on 4th of July, celebrating the Lord. Um, And I pray that as you go about uh, your your day-to-day on 4th of July, celebrating your freedom, celebrating this country, that at the very bottom of your joy, the thing that would make you most loud, the thing that would make you most thankful, you would recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from a really good and perfect God who has blessed you with each and everything that you have, on top of that list is the way and the means to be right with God, despite how you've been separated uh, from him through your sin. This is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus, that we were created for God. We were created to enjoy this world and partner with him to make it better, but we each have fallen away from that. We have each wanted our elbow room and turned our backs on the Lord. And here's the good news of God. He loves us still. He pursues us to the extent of sending his son Jesus to be that sacrifice. That through your faith and your trust in what he has done for you, you put down your works and you pick up your faith and you trust in him and you go, God, thank you. Thank you for your son Jesus. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, I will be saved. That's the call of God's word to be a people of celebration. And I pray your 4th of July is the same. Amen.